welcome to the Girls Who Run the World podcast, where we're bringing you inspiring guests who are leaders in their industries. We'll be tackling topics from education and empowerment to diversity and inclusion. Together, let's learn from these incredible women. This podcast is brought to you by Our Gorongosa. We create specialty coffee with 100% of profits supporting people, wildlife, and the planet in Gorongosa National Park, Mozambique. Girls' education is one of our biggest priorities because we know girls have the power to change the world. Just like Beyonce said, who runs the world? Girls! Hello and welcome back to the Girls Who Run the World podcast. I'm your host, Emily, and I just want to say thank you so much for tuning in. We are so grateful to have you. And as usual, if you've loved this episode, please share it with a friend who you know will love it too. That's how we reach more incredible women and share these stories even more. So thank you for doing that. For episode nine, I'm joined by Claudia Bouvier, co-founder of Pastificio Boulder, food activist, and mom of two. So her company, Pastificio Boulder, creates delicious pastas, and they are on a mission to show that through the process of crafting, cooking, and enjoying their pastas, you can reconnect to the earth and each other, and that roots us in joy, nourishment, and gratitude. So they really do have a beautiful mission, and I was so grateful to catch up with Claudia. She really educated me, and I think you're all going to enjoy what we talked about. So we started with her background and growing up in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and what that was like for her, and how her passion for local food really started, which was really interesting to hear because that was really a constant in her life. We talk about switching careers. She went from engineering to owning a pasta company, so it's very fascinating. We also chatted about her biggest challenges she's faced in her business so far, and she really educated me on the local grain economy renaissance and how that connects to her business and her mission, and also why having a mission-driven brand and business is a top priority for her. So I hope you love this episode. Please leave us a rating and review. We love you for it. And we will see you in the next episode. Welcome to the show, Claudia. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. My pleasure. So let's jump right on in. I would love to hear from you. What are you most grateful for in your life right now? Oh, wow. It's hard not to say health, right? At this point after such a year. So I think I would say, um, you know, our health and also um, the excitement of being working on something that we truly believe in. Beautiful. What would you say inspires you daily? So what gets you excited to go about your day and helps you wake up at 5.30 a.m. sometimes to do a lot of the things you have to do for your business and really keeps you going? What inspires you? So I think we are at a point, both personally and professionally, that we are seeing change um, you know, in the food system. So it, it is just the excitement of, you know, being working on something for so many years and um, it, it's, it's little by little, it's incremental, but I do see change everywhere. So it's really inspiring. Absolutely. Change in the right direction is what, mm-hmm. what we need. <laughs> yes. 
What advice would you give to your younger self? I always preface by saying if she would listen because a lot of people have said, I don't think I would have listened to myself. (laughs) (laughs) If you would listen, (laughs) what advice would you give her? You know, I would probably um, be more aware of myself. You know, like so many times I see that I just pushed through just by listening to other people's advices, which it's good, but uh, there's always the grain of salt. And uh, also to understand the things that are important to me and give me pleasure and uh, the challenges, I would just kind of look um, more into who I am, pay more attention to that. Mm -hmm. I love that. Because at the end of the day, nobody knows you or your life more than you. So exactly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it takes time, right, for us to really understand who we are and uh, experiment. Um, I think it's all positive. But I would probably tell myself, like, just pay attention to how you feel, you know, gut feeling and instinct, all those things that we just go into the rational mode, I would probably pay more attention to that. Yes. And I feel the, the intuition, it never, never lies. So when you can finally, I feel mm-hmm. like I'm at a certain point where I'm pretty good at listening to it now, but it has taken a long time, <laughs> but I it doesn't know. lie to you. <laughs> exactly. Right. Like as they say, the first instinct that you have, you know, whether it's like a physical reaction or, you know, something that crosses your mind, it's generally the right way of thinking. Yes. What is one mantra that you like to live your life by? You know, it's a bit of a joke around here, (laughs) but it's basically just get it done. You know, (laughs) so many times there's like so much of talk and so, you know, which is all good. It's all positive. You know, we can do this way. We can do that way. And sometimes it goes so crazy until we can But at some point, you just need to make the decision, try. If it's wrong, you're going to learn, just try differently. Uh, So yes, just get it done. Just go. (laughs) As a recovering perfectionist myself, one of mine is done is sometimes better than perfect (laughs) because perfect doesn't exist. So (laughs) Exactly. And you know, I do have that. I run the business with my husband and co-owner and we couldn't be more different. He's very philosophical. He talks a lot, takes forever to get stuff done. And I'm more like the practical. It's like, you know, A or B, we can do A, let's try and go. So it's kind of a running joke here because it's pretty much a daily conversation. Like, let's go through the philosophy, but end of the conversation, what we're doing. So I think that's, uh, that's how I feel. And Absolutely. Who or what has been your biggest teacher so far? Yeah, you know, we go through life, right? And we just see so many things that inspires us. But I think the recurring thing that comes to my life, it's basically mother nature. You know, it's so perfect and it's so able to build systems that are so complex and so functional in, you know, in our only way of doing things as humans, we just kind of feel like things have to be a certain way. 
and we just see one side of it. But I think just going back and looking at nature and, you know, it works. Even if we perceive that it's not fair to this, not fair to that, too good for one, but it's always, you know, there is um, a balance in everything. And uh, yeah, Mother Nature. Mm, That's beautiful. I'd love for you, Claudia, to kind of set the stage for us, for anyone listening, and give us a little context about how you grew up. So where'd you grow up? What was your kind of early life like? Mm-hmm. So I could spend a couple hours talking about this because there's so much around here. But I grew up in Sao Paulo, Brazil. I come from an all Italian uh, family. My four grandparents, they were born in Italy. And at some point in life, they immigrated to Brazil. So it's where I grew up. I always felt that, you know, I was pretty Brazilian till I kind of got out of that world and realized that, you know, I grew up very Italian in Brazil because all the food, all the culture, you know, the the traditions, they were quite Italian. And it turns out that there are so many of them, us in Brazil, and all my friends had last names that were Italian and had the same, you know, ways of doing things. So you don't perceive. So I grew up there in Sao Paulo, which I think it's probably the fourth biggest city in the world. So it's a big concrete jungle. I, you know, I went to college in Brazil. I went to, it's called Escola Politecnica, which is an engineering school. It's a pretty difficult one to get into and uh, even worse to get out of. So I studied uh, civil engineering. As soon as I finished, um, I was working for a big construction company, an American company called Turner. And I moved to the U.S. to work for them. So I went to Chicago, to New York, to L.A., lived in London, in different places. So my early uh, professional life was centered in construction and engineering, very you know, practical uh, side of my brain. At some point, I kind of figured that I had a side of me that was really creative and that it was constantly pushed aside. I ended up going to back to school to design school. I went to different ones as I was living in different places. Then I ran a business which was construction management and uh, design for several years. And then I decided to go back to school and go to a master's in engineering. So kind of back and forth, both sides of my brain. And I currently live in Colorado and I run Pastificio Boulder uh, with my husband and I have two girls, uh, ages 11 and 13. Oh, thanks so much for sharing. That was awesome. And didn't even take two hours. So you did great. I know. I did like quick, quick. (laughs) Yeah, I just love hearing kind of the origin story too, before we get into kind of where you're at in your business. And what I would like to start with is... How did your passion really start to develop? Because I know you have a huge passion for local food and artisanal food. So how did that passion kind of begin? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I think just growing up in an Italian family, it's the, the main seed that is there. 
you know, the appreciation not only uh, for the food itself, but also how you share, how you prepare, and how you sit at a table with the entire family, you know, those rituals that they come to us when we're so young. And I did grow up in Brazil, in Sao Paulo, which is, you know, Sao Paulo is a big jungle, a big city. But um, we were fortunate to have a farm outside of the city, about like an hour away. And uh, it's where the family would congregate pretty much every weekend. So I grew up, you know, just sitting in the orchard with my cousins and just picking fruit and, you know, appreciating, stepping on the mud, barefoot and uh you know the natural cheeses and you know it was um pretty relevant i think to uh the way i see food right now and then you kind of go through that uh phase where you're a teenager or a young adult and you you end up going to restaurants and kind of i wouldn't say disconnecting from from family but experiencing food in different ways to the point that you kind of circle back and it's like, no, wait a minute, that's not the kind of food that I grew up eating. And then you just reflect and say, you know, um, the ways of nature again, right? Like how everything's grown and how the childhood memories of taste and smells, they are all there and we are always seeking that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Very that's- cool. So it sounds like food has always been a passion for you, whether you knew it or not in the beginning of your life, but it was very ingrained in those kind of rituals you talked about, which I love. And that's something that I'm really passionate about is even having that dinner time where you sit down together. And I think I was lucky enough to grow up with that, but I do think it's a bit of a lost art. So I love, I love hearing other families who have that in their rituals. It's really amazing. So like I said, it sounds like that food has always been such a passion for you and such an integral part of your life, even growing up. I would love to hear how you transitioned from engineering into (laughs) starting your amazing pasta business. So yes, you know, do you remember when we talked about uh, my younger self and listening more to (laughs) ourselves? Uh (laughs) So it's a bit like that, you know, um, I, I had this career as an engineer and designer, but food was always there. You know, it was cooking for friends or family, Um, At some point, I was living in New York City, working as an engineer, but I had some connections in Brazil. And uh, people started, you know, asking me like connections from food magazines. And you're you're there. Can you start writing about some restaurants and uh, doing illustrations about, you know, food and restaurants? So I had kind of a side career writing about food and uh, going to new openings and, um, you know, to the point that my design and engineering career ended up going towards restaurant design. So it was always there, kind of as a side something. And, um, you know, at some point, it was probably 15 years ago, 
that gave me um, a professional pasta making course. It was at one of those uh, culinary schools in New York City. And it was just a course, I think it was about a week, but it was pretty serious, you know, pretty professional. And after that, I remember just kind of practicing and enjoying, not really wanting to do business with it, but just like every Sunday making a different kind of pasta. And then as I had children, then, you know, those instincts just come like all, you know, full blown into you. And I wanted to feed them well. And I wanted to, you know, have them um, experience that sitting at the table with your family every single meal and talk about things and enjoy and respect food. So, yes, I think the transition ended up going uh, in a way slowly and organically to, you know, when we founded the company, I was in a kind of crossroad in terms of career. I was at CU Boulder finishing my master's in engineering management when I kind of uh, saw a little opportunity in thinking about a pasta company. And I was like, you know, let me try this and see how it goes. And it just grew. And then I was like, you know, that's the right path. That's what I really want to do. Mm, so cool. So how many years have you been working in the business? So um, we founded seriously uh, Pastificio in January 2018. So technically about three years. But six months before, I was um, part of uh, an incubator program at CU. And it was just this idea of a pasta company. So it gave me the room, you know, basically two months to just research and think and talk and explore. And then I ended up going to Italy for research, <laughs> which was pretty amazing. Too. Perfect. <laughs> I spent like a month there and uh, taking classes. And then it was really when I was like, you know, it's an idea that I can combine the passion for real food or um, with something that we believe in, which is working closely with farmers and innovating in using those different grains. Ted has the background in the food industry. And I was like, okay, let's do it. That's when it started. And so you just went for it. I love it. But it's really <laughs> cool because you just went for it, it seems. But also, like you said, there had been these hints and these things building kind of this whole way up to your decision to actually start the company, it sounds like. Yes. So it sounds like it was a bit of a journey to get there. But now it's seen such incredible success over the last few years. And I wanted to ask you, what, what has been your biggest challenges? Because starting a business is no small feat, let alone something in packaged goods. It's a whole different game. If, if anyone listening isn't familiar, there's a lot that goes into consumer packaged goods. It's such a huge undertaking in and of itself. So I'd love to hear from you. What have those big challenges been along the way? So, you know, I think, of course, there's so much to learn, right? Especially coming from a different career. And even though Ted had experience in the food business, wasn't CPG. It was, you know, a microbrewery and restaurant and catering. So it was related to food, but it wasn't in this format. So I think uh, the biggest challenge has, it has been on that little piece of innovation that we are doing. 
you know, because um, reality is pasta is pretty universal. Everyone knows pasta, right? But the fact that we are trying to make pasta from the, those very unique grains using different methods, and you know, there's a whole story behind it. So we need to be able to convey the story in a way that, you know, it's accurate, it's true, but it's not as put it out as geekly as we are (laughs) in terms of it, because we can get really detailed and passionate and the technicalities, but not everyone or the majority of the people can't digest all this crazy amount of information. So we kind of need to, you know, adjust the story and tell people in a way that they can relate and be excited. You know, we, we, we don't want to preach. You know, we are really into like trying to make food as correct as possible, you know, for everyone, for the environment, for ourselves, for our body, for biodiversity. But we can get pretty preachy about it. Like that's the way you should eat, you know, whole grain. And other. But no, you know, food is to most people pleasure. And uh, we, we need to learn how to tell the story in a way that is true, but at the same time digestible to the majority of the people. Mm-hmm. Yes. This is something that I, I do, so I understand the struggle. <laughs> but it's also it something I'm good at, uh, is, is taking a lot of information, whether it's mm-hmm. technical information or information about, for example, your mission-based kind of product and distilling it for people. It's not as easy as it may look. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, and we can get pretty caught up on our own wishes instead of listening to people and kind of getting the cues of, you know, how, what are they interested in? And maybe we can share just a little piece and that's enough. You know, we don't need to be like, ah, talk about this. (laughs) Yes. It's definitely a struggle too. When you're really excited about your business, you want to tell everyone everything, but Mm -hmm. then sometimes that actually works the opposite way you want it. Because like you said, if they don't understand, then you Mm -hmm. kind of just stop paying attention in a way. <laughs> you kind yes, of turn off. That's true. Yes. So Claudia, something I was curious to ask you about, because I know you're very passionate about it, is the concept of the grain economy. And you talked about its renaissance. So I'd love to hear what that means. Because I've never heard of this term. So I'm very mm-hmm. curious. So the story is, you know, uh, we have been seeing um, the food uh, system change you know, it's slowly, I kind of wish it was a little, you know, faster, but, you know, the farmer's markets, um, the heirloom tomatoes, the CSAs, you know, community supported agriculture uh, of, you know, people trying to eat better and, and healthy and organic. So it's all happening. So if we talk to the majority of the people, it's like, you know, what's happening to our food right now? They, they can't really talk about, you know, buying directly from a farmer, going to the farmer's markets, uh, using less plastic, all those things. There's one thing in our food that it's huge and we eat all the time, which is flour and wheat. And that has been pretty much overlooked in the past, you know, 
several years or, you know, since I would say green revolution. So the story is wheat has been basically uh, nurturing civilization for, you know, thousands of years. And we have never had so many issues like gluten sensitivity, everyone being gluten-free and feeling sick. So at some point, you know, it, it was um, during the Green Revolution, we figured as, you know, um, society that we needed to grow more food and, you know, um, help with the growth of, you know, the population. And wheat has been one of those uh, crops that has been really manipulated by us, you know, crossbred, you know, immensely. And this crossbreeding in a way was quite successful because we could develop a lot of yield, but that was basically it. It was a nutrition, flavor, sustainability, because those new crops, the modern wheat, as we know, needed a lot of input, chemical inputs in the land. So they were growing a lot, but the quality in terms of flavor, nutrition, sustainability got lost. So we are at a point that we have most of our wheat grown industrially in huge monocultures. And, um, you know, there are so many issues there. You know, the fact that so many people has been sick by wheat. And in actuality, it's not necessarily the gluten, for some people it is celiac, but it's the kind of wheat we are growing, how we're growing, how we're processing, you know, how we are putting it in our food, you know, is stripping all the nutrients from the bran, from the germ, and just using white flour. So the grain movement, uh, and it's happening, you know, in different points around the country. And Colorado has its own version. You know, there's an organization called Colorado Grain Chain. We are part of it. Uh, We are collaborating with a lot of farmers, a lot of bakers. So the idea is, let's look at our wheat and let's go back to pre-green revolution and which wheats were we were eating and feeling good and sustaining the land and those are called ancient and heirloom and heritage they are used interchangeably but those are varieties of wheats that are natural to the land they evolved like meaning cross breeds but it was a natural process. So what we're doing is basically going back to those weeds, partnering with farmers, getting them to know, uh, to grow them as sustainably as possible, you know, either biodynamic or regenerative agriculture and kind of mixing different crops and making the land better and then getting those organic grains and we are milling ourselves which means that the milling industrial mill, you know, know, industrial milling got its own problems too. You know, wheat is milled in huge quantities, it's stripped all of the different parts, separated into different parts. And then what we know as whole wheat is the, the white part, and they add a little bit of different parts and not the whole. So once you get the wheat berry and you mill yourself, you truly have whole grain flour. 
means that every single part of the wheat is there and it's alive. It's not that it was milled like six months ago and it has oxidized. So, you know, in a nutshell, the grain movement is look at the grain chain and see what went wrong there and try to go back to better ways or more ancient ways of doing the process. Wow. That was really, really interesting. Thank you. Because I yeah, was not up to speed on that. So it's really interesting. I think it's going to be really great for people listening to start to understand. And I think when you think about food supply, to me, sometimes it can be a bit overwhelming because it seems like you kind of alluded to this. It seems like there are so many problems. (laughs) It's like, Mm -hmm. whoa. But I really think it's cool that you have kind of in a way cornered it cornered in on one and thought, Mm -hmm. you know what, this is how I make my ripple effect. And this is what we can control in producing our own pasta. And so I love, I love that. And it kind of leads me into my next question is, is I know that Pastificio, you're very interested in being mission led. So can you talk a bit about what your mission is and why that's important? (laughs) <laughs> yes, it's all related. Um, so, you know, what the way we see, as you said, you know, there are so many issues with our food system. You know, we are getting sick. Uh, there is a lot of waste and it's pretty much everywhere. You know, when food is just a commodity and uh, it's not anymore for our health, our pleasure, our land. So we are kind of getting a little corner of it, the wheat, and try to make change in that category. But I think our mission is um, more broad than this. It's basically if we, we start talking about those things and uh, people start paying attention, you know, there's some attention to fruits and vegetables. And then we are talking about wheat and there's people talking about corn. Just the idea of people thinking more about their food and being more aware. You know, one thing that we have to our benefit is because we are doing this, food tastes better. And it's our, you know, inherent need to eat good food that gives us pleasure. So basically, it's food that tastes better. The second side of this is in the case of wheat, a lot of people feel good eating this kind of wheat. So all those people that at some point ended up going to adopt gluten-free diets because they weren't feeling well, they are kind of picking little bits here and there of like, you know, those different weeds. And like I have amazing amounts of customers that went gluten-free and then they're like, I'm going to experiment with your pasta. They come back and say, that's the only pasta I can eat and feel good. So it's kind of a a chain process that if we just do a little bit here and just get people to think more, then we can cause um, more impact, change more our food system. So the mission is much wider. You know, the pasta is the way we decided to, you know, put it out, but it's, it's, a, it's broader view. It's like, let's think about our food. Let's feel better. Let's not damage the environment in, in our pursuit of feeding ourselves. 
Mm -hmm. I love that. Well, before we get to the last rapid fire round of questions, I wanted to acknowledge you, Claudia, for the incredible work that you're doing with your business and really showing people what's possible for creating food because you're creating these amazing, delicious products that are also really good for the environment. And you're really leading the way to show people that it is possible to have something that's such an issue like wheat and look at ways we can improve it. So I want to acknowledge you for that. Thank you so much. Thank you. (laughs) My pleasure. Okay. You ready for the rapid fire? Yes. (laughs) What is a book or a movie or could be even a TV show that really changed your life? You know, like life is full of little things, right? You know, I think uh, the the inspiration, I I need to think about something that it's more recent. And it's a, a book that I just read for the fifth time called Climbing Mango Tree. It's written by this lady called Madhur Jaffrey. She's Indian and she is really a celebrity in terms of Indian food. So I think, you know, I read a couple of years ago, I keep reading. It's just like so inspirational to see someone going back, you know, to the same stories of childhood and food and, you know, immigrating to America. So I, I need to pick that one at the moment. There are more, but. <laughs> <laughs> Always more. That's the amazing part. What is your favorite place you've traveled? Oh my God. That's like quick. Italy. For I, was, sure. <laughs> I knew. I'm like, she's going to say Italy. What, is there a specific place you love in Italy? You know, uh, I think Bologna is in my heart. You know, it's the pasta and the school and the oldest university and, you know, the enjoyment of life. Yeah, it's intellectual. It's just Bologna. Yeah. Mm. Well, I'll add that to my list because I absolutely loved Italy. I went to Sicily for my best friend's wedding. She got married there. We had a villa. It was amazing. Uh, And I just (laughs) loved it there. Like Sicily was a whole different vibe. We were in Rome for a little while as well, which Rome is super cool, but it's very different. Sicily was Mm -hmm. awesome. But I'm going to add that to my list now. (laughs) (laughs) What are you most excited about this year? You know, funny enough, it's a trip to Italy (laughs) and basically Sicily that we are hopefully going in a couple weeks. So I think, uh, you know, after this whole year, right, that we all had, I'm really, really excited about that. Mm-hmm. I think traveling will be mine too, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> What's a lesson that you've learned recently? Could be a new lesson, could be something you keep learning. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it, it's the cycle, right? I was thinking about this and it is um, raising children and raising little women and uh, how much is um, the balance of me trying to teach them what I learned and what I would tell my young self, but also being able to let them be who they are and uh, make their choices. So I think it's a constant lesson. It's a daily thing here. Mm-hmm. My son's only two and a half, so I'm definitely oh. learning that. But it's, uh, yeah, I think it is going to be a lifelong lesson, and I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> it is beautiful, you know. It's uh, the best thing that I see in my life, you know, raising kids. But it's, yeah, 
we are always learning. Yes, we most certainly are. Well, thank you again, Claudia, so much. I want to make sure everyone connects with you. So where's the best place to go and follow along? So probably our website, which is pastificioboulder.com. So there's quite a lot of information there. Amazing. Thank you so much, Claudia. Thank you, Emily. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Girls Who Run the World podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend who would love it. Leave us a five-star review and hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. To learn more about Our Gorongosa, head over to OurGorongosa.com and find us on social at OurGorongosa.com.